0: to a conversation with Saruti, this time with uh, Kyle Reese again. Uh, I am glad to be back for this is what we'll call our second season, our first episode of the second season of Conversations with Saruti. Uh, The first few episodes of this season are basically going to be a Conversations with Saruti slash Prospects After Dark crossover here at Birds on the Black. Uh, We will start the season off by discussing Kyle Reese's Dirty Flirty Prospects in the Cardinals system. In the past, Kyle has done 35 prospects per season. But this year, coming off of a shortened COVID 2020 in which there was no minor league baseball at all, uh, and then the 2021 season in which Kyle could finally heavily reinvest himself into the part of the game that he loves the most, uh, Kyle, at least metaphorically, hit the steroids and produced more content than ever for this year's version of the Dirty Flirty. Um, Kyle ended up... I believe all in the end, after all of his indexes or annexes or whatever he called them, uh, got 99 prospects covered, which is absolutely incredible. I don't think you're going to find that depth of a system anywhere in terms of coverage um, for the Cardinals or for anybody else. Uh, Kyle, welcome back uh, to the show, sir.
1: Hello, Ben. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to talk about the prospects in this uh, this format. It's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, I, I don't know if we'll go over exactly 99 prospects uh, as we go through these various lists of prospects. But, man, you never know. It, it could be fun. I, I'm, I'm here to touch on as many of these kids, uh, not to be confused with touching many of these kids. Uh, I, am, I am on board <laughs> to t- touch on as many of these kids as possible. And uh, I guess on that note, one thing I would like to say before we get too far is I was listening to Daniel Shoptaw's podcast the other day um uh, meet me at Mutual, one of the 35 he's on with 45 different people and I I was privileged to hear him say the word dirty hand hexes and the fact that I get to say that out loud uh and hopefully he's listening uh that just thank you so much Daniel that's uh, all of this is just about trying to get you to say things like that so uh yeah that's it that's the preface to the dirty
0: Uh, That's actually the show for the evening. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) So tonight, uh, how Kyle has done this in the past is he has basically taken the prospect list and broken it up into groups of five. And while Kyle doesn't get to do his solo bit about it this year, uh, the format we're doing is more conversational in nature, as this is Conversations with Sarudi. But we are still going to break them up into groups of five. so getting right into the list for today, what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the five guys who come in at the tail end of the list of prospects at 36 through 40. Uh, his Dirty Flirty had 40 on it, and then the other 59 he covered were found in the Dirty Annexes and the interview and all that. Um yeah. We'll take them in reverse order, however. So we are looking at prospects 40, 39, 38, 37, and 36 today. To give you a little preview of who these five are, if you have not read this over at www.burnsonthelock.com yet, um, we are looking at number 40 is right-handed pitcher Ian Bedell. Number 39 is first baseman slash left fielder uh, Thomas Francisco. Number 38 is right-handed pitcher Inohan Paniagua. I hope I'm saying that right. I apologize if I'm not. Number 37 is right-handed pitcher Connor Lunn, and number 36 is outfielder Patrick Romeri. This is a group of five that I'm very interested to talk about, and I can't wait to get started, so I'm going to dive right in. Ian Bedell is a player who was drafted in the fourth round of the 2020 June Amateur Draft. He was picked number 21 that round, number 122 overall to the St. Louis Cardinals, Um, He obviously did not throw in 2020, as that was the COVID season for minor leagues. This year, he was only able to get on the mound for one, two games, one start, uh, two and two-thirds innings. Um, Ian Bedell at number 40 on your prospect list. Uh, A couple things I know about him. I don't know a whole bunch, but I know that he is a Mizzou guy. I knew that he was a high draft pick, fourth rounder, and I know that he's a Tommy John surgery guy already. I did read in your write-up, Kyle, that Bedell is kind of all in on the modern technologies. It seems like Mizzou is in general. Um, On that curvy slider of Bedell's that you talk about, and this is what I wanted to get into first, and then you can talk about the rest, but you showed a back-to-back-to-back kind of gifs about his two different sliders and then the one that he was working on it looked like he could kind of bend it multiple ways like a young Adam Wainwright does, not to compare him to the Cardinals future Hall of Famer or future Cardinals Hall of Famer. But do you get that sense that he can kind of bend it to his will, so to speak, as well as a minor leaguer can?
1: I think that because of his education uh, with the advanced technologies that he is definitely one of those pitchers that um, uh, is, is into pitch design. Now, without talking to him or without talking to people involved, you know, I, I can't really say. But I, I will say just watching some of his starts at starts and relief appearances in the prior years at zoo, that you can tell that his pitch has – it doesn't always have similar shape. And one of the guys on uh, – that we talked about very briefly when we did the rundown of like 18 additional pitchers is a guy that you and I have talked about, a, a relief pitcher named Jacob Bosiokovic. Uh, And you and I talked about him earlier in the year because I had put out a gif of a a couple different sliders that he threw. And, uh, you know, sometimes his slider doesn't have the same shape, Bosiokovic. Uh, But that's more a product of the fact that Bosiokovic is not, he's a converted position player. He's older and he's still learning the mechanics and consistencies that come with throwing the pitch, which is different than Bedell. And I know it's kind of a long way to get to the Bedell point, but, uh, Bedell is a seasoned pitcher. He is a smart kid. He is, um, again, he's educated in modern technology. So there, you know, I would not be surprised at all if that is something that he has, he's designing or working on. And, you know, the, the other thing to always keep in mind when you're talking about watching camera angles instead of, you know, watching it live is you just never know exactly what the camera's picking up that or isn't picking up rather. So there, there's always a chance that um, the slider is moving similar, but from the vantage point, it's it's not exactly uh, looking that way from the camera. So I, I wouldn't be surprised, but there's still only so much you can tell from a camera.
0: All right. So what you what I'm hearing you say is that the difference between a guy like Bosiokovic and a guy like Bedell is Bedell's got... The modern technologies behind him, where he might be shaping individual pitches, where Bosyakovich might be more of the—he doesn't know where his arm slot is at all times, and so his slider comes out differently than other times.
1: Yeah, yeah, basically, and also, you know, the okay. difference in between being a season, even though Bedell is younger, but a seasoned veteran pitcher. You know, um, he's been throwing nonstop since his <laughs> days in grade school, where Bosyakovich right. stopped throwing. To, to you know, pursue a position player career before eventually re-engineering his mechanics to to uh, become a relief pitcher.
0: Awesome. Uh, what else did you want to tell us about Bedell? That was my biggest question about him after reading what you had written.
1: No, I mean, uh, you know, I I think that the biggest uh, the biggest thing to take away from Bedell, and part of the reason why I have him forty, is that he is coming off of Tommy John surgery. He had Tommy John surgery about. Two weeks. Well, he he got hurt like two weeks. He probably had Tommy John surgery about a month into the 2021 season. If he had problem, if he had gone through a full season, even if he had struggled, he probably would be a little higher on the dirty thirty or the dirty flirty. The, we'll call it the dirty forty. Moving on, more than likely, he'd be higher on the dirty uh, the dirty forty, even if he would have struggled because he's that talented of a pitcher with a full arsenal of pitches that he commands, uh, but. I think we take for granted sometimes how easy it is to come back from Tommy John surgery. Um, in the article, I believe, and it's been so long since I've written it that uh, I don't really remember. But uh, in the post, I believe I bring up um, Steve Gindry, you know, a, a fourth round pick that the Cardinals spent over draft on a lefty who had Tommy John surgery and then tied, had tried to come back, uh, and then had another Tommy John surgery and then tried to come back, and there was a chance he was going to have to have a third one before he ended his own uh, minor league career. Um, you just never know. Bedell is a promising enough right-handed pitcher, uh, whether it ends up being in the relief role or or a, a long-term starter, um, that he deserves to be on every Cardinal prospect list. I decided to put him 40 because uh, I think it's important that we exercise some type of caution uh, and understand the full dynamic of his situation as he marches back from Tommy John surgery. But, uh, you know, people like he, it's a heavy sinking fastball that he throws about 90 to 92. He, he can get it up there in a relief role. He was also throwing with more velocity in the Cape Cod League in 2019. Uh, it was low 90s before he hurt his arm in 2021. And, uh, you know, between that slurvy curve that he throws and the slider and the changeup and the fastball, um, it's a pretty well-developed arsenal pre-Tommy John.
0: So is he a guy that you think that, say he comes back completely healthy this year from Tommy John coming up 2022 season with that pitch mix? Is he a guy that could move up your draft board pretty, or not draft board, your prospect list pretty quickly? Or is he a guy that could move through the organization pretty quickly knowing that he's probably more advanced than those low minors type guys or both? Could he do move up both pretty quickly?
1: Both. You know, I think that the, the second part of that question about how quickly he can move up through the organization just comes down to how willing the Cardinals are to be aggressive with him coming off of Tommy John. Uh, I, I would imagine that they'll they'll practice some type of caution with him. The other thing to keep in mind about Bedell, part of the reason why he was so appealing to the team in the, the shortened 2020 draft is he's young. He was young for that 2020 draft class. Uh, so, even though he's seasoned, even though he does have that veteran savvy about him, even though he's a competitor and feisty uh, and he carries himself like a professional, he still has time on his side. You know, I think he's still only 21. He might be edging up to 22 or right at 22. uh, And and there's time for him. Uh, So I I think that he is the type of prospect that could move up my list very quickly and, and other prospect lists very quickly. But, and I also think he's the type of prospect that could run, his make his way up the organization quickly uh i would suspect that the first one happens before the second one i I would suspect that because coming off of tommy john surgery his age the lost 2020 season uh to keep in mind because of covid that uh he'll be further up my list than he will be up the organizational ladder Uh, ideally he gets healthy he's back come you know May, June of next year, uh, maybe June, maybe July, if you're practicing caution, he ends the 2022 season really well, finds his way to the Arizona Fall League at the end of the year. And then it's really 2023 where he's ready to make that quick leap up both my list and the organization. Gotcha.
0: All right. Before I move on to number 39, Thomas Francisco, any last
1: things about Bedell? No, no, no. M-I-Z-Z-O-U, baby
0: there we go uh so thomas francisco is the number 39 player on your list he is an east east carolina university product much like a guy who we will get to later on the list named alec burleson uh francisco again is kind of a first base left field type before we get into francisco himself will you kind of talk about these ecu guys what is it about ecu and and even nc state that you love so much and are there any other colleges out there that Cardinals fans should pay closer attention to when it comes to draft time?
1: Uh, you know, honestly, at this point, uh, there are so many great programs out there. You know, uh, one of the failed prospects, one of the guys on the the annexes is Griffin Roberts, and he comes from Wake Forest. Wake Forest has really started to adopt, uh, uh, well, really, Wake Forest has kind of been at the cutting edge of modern technologies. They're a great program. Uh, uh, you know, all... There, there are really just so many great, uh, you know, great college programs. Uh, it's easy for me to go to East Carolina and to NC state because the Cardinals have drafted like high caliber people from those schools over the last couple of years, you know, NC state is Andrew Kisner and Evan Mendoza. Uh, ECU is Evan Krasinski and, uh, uh, Holba, Chris Holba and who's been hurt and hasn't been able to pitch in the last couple of seasons and Thomas Francisco and Alec Burleson, uh, if there's one, there are so many things that I've learned in the last couple of years, specifically from watching how uh, uh, Mr. Randy Flores drafts. And the support system for a minor league player is so important, uh, regardless of the caliber of that prospect's prospect standing. And ECU and NC State in particular have an instilled support system along with accountability uh, on the field and off the field for their, for their players. And, you know, they create these amazing environments that follow the players beyond their time on campus and not just on the diamond beyond their time on campus, but in like their personal lives. Um, You know, I can't tell you specifically as we talk about Thomas Francisco Uh, And and later on down the line, when we talk about Alec Burleson, how many people I've had reach out to me from ECU to tell me stories, uh, like personal stories about these kids. And, you know, I know for a fact NC State and I I get the impression that ECU are both schools that won't take on, you know, they'll take on troubled kids because they're that high quality of programs, but they won't take on problem kids uh, or or kids that uh, that might not be willing to be coached or taught. Uh, and because of that, uh, they create these, these high caliber human beings that transcend the diamond. So that's, that's why, you know, uh, in my experience with the Cardinals, NC state and ECU carry a, a little bit extra, uh, volume in evaluation.
0: That's awesome. As an educator, that just warms my heart. I love it. Um, Back to Thomas Francisco, though, because this is not about, you know, those schools. This this podcast tonight is about these players. So how high does a guy like Francisco, who you say is, you, you know, one of the things you talked about in his write-up was that he's mechanically sound. And that kind of rung a chord with me. How high does that kind of player typically get in organizations? Do you see a major league debut in this kid's future? Or do you see a guy who... That you just really love this kid as an organization or organizational soldier, so to speak. I believe you've you've used that term in the past.
1: What what do you see for his future? The the tough thing about a kid like Francisco right, is that he's a first baseman who doesn't hit for a ton of power. Uh, we've learned from Alec Burleson, his former ECU teammate, that power can come. There is a chance that power will come somewhere down the line. Uh, but as a, a basically a primary first baseman, uh, it's going to be tough. For Thomas Francisco to like continue to um, you know uh, move up the ranks very 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 quickly, um, and, and also you know as we as we learn with um as we learn with like Luke and Baker right so the Cardinals left Luke and Baker exposed to the Rule Five and part of that reason is he's a a right-handed hitting um, you know uh, first baseman only even though he has a ton of power and uh, you know even though Francisco hits left-handed. Uh, it, it's always tough for like the quote-unquote first base only type to rise through the ranks um, unless they have like specifically standout power. Uh, so, you know, then of course naturally the next question becomes is, is like an outfield spot an option for him? You know, I think he's athletic enough to play, um, you know, left field. I don't know about right field. I know he has a really strong arm and I know he can be a dynamic fielder at first base, Um, but you know, without seeing it, I, you know, I don't view him as the most graceful runner. He isn't like a big and unathletic or anything like that, but he he also isn't the most graceful runner. And uh, so, you know, it would make it all of that ramble is just to say, he's not really the ideal prospect that you could see like, making a major league debut or moving up the charts particularly quickly. But, you know, at the same time, he's also the type of kid with the type of contact tool and the ability to like slap the ball around without like the slap mechanic, you know, a really solid hands only if needed swing that will take him further than a projection might otherwise say.
0: So, to put some stats to what Kyle's been talking about, uh, this is a kid who across two levels of the minors this year. Um, he played at low A or A ball Palm Beach, sorry, and high A Peoria this year. He was very successful in Palm Beach. Um, he had a 333 batting average, 415 on base, and 494 slugging in Palm Beach, over 94 plate appearances. In Peoria, he struggled a bit more. A uh, little young for level, but not terribly young for level. 41 plate appearances, but was a 211, 268, 316 guy. All in all, that gave him 135 plate appearances. Uh, he's a kid who only strikes out 15% of the time last year. He's a kid who only walks 7% of the time. He's a kid who only, uh, like Kyle said, with the, uh, the less power stroke in him, had 11 extra base hits and 135 plate appearances. So less than 10%, um, less than a third of his hits were for extra bases, but he also hit 294 on the year, had an on-base percentage of 370 and slugged over 400. So an 800 plus OPS. Um, as far as how that looked for league, his WRC plus at a ball was 149. So 49% better than league average. Then you go to, A high A, Peoria, and he was at 63, so 37% below league average. Um, That's kind of the player we're talking about here uh, at the moment. Um, Kyle, those were my only questions for you. What else do we know about uh, Thomas that you want to put on air before we move on?
1: No, that's about it. I I will say if you get the inclination, go to the Birds on the Black uh, write-up, You know, prospect number 39, Thomas Francisco. I, I believe that I embedded a video of him. Uh, via twitter that uh where, where he's talking and he talks about the draft process uh and you know it, it gives you a really good idea of just how um, personable and how charming of a young man he is how intelligent he is how well-spoken he is but beyond that i think it also gives you an idea of just how convoluted the draft is and even more so for players that aren't drafted in the first couple rounds Um, So, uh, yeah, check out the the write-up, but specifically that embedded media.
0: All right, so I'm going to, again, try not to butcher this next kid's name. Uh, Inohan Piniagua is the number 38 prospect on your list. Um, Something that I looked into after reading your list was about him being both a starter and a reliever this year. And I know a lot of people in the organization did that. I found he was much better as a starter than as a reliever this year. Did they just have him relieving to keep innings down and make sure he and others didn't get hurt after the season, which seems like a fairly intelligent strategy after 2020? Or was this something that they gave him a couple starts to spell somebody and he took off like a rocket and didn't look back? Or what, what was the kind of look there, do you think?
1: No, specifically, uh, you know, at the lower levels, the Cardinals were very, very cautious to uh, to make sure that they were conserving innings. Now, with with Paniagua and then a couple of the other pitchers that I touched on um, in the in the uh, the Shrine part about the pitchers, um, you know, it's hard to get a bunch of information. You know, Beller's different, Prater's different. Uh, those guys were pretty much starters. But a lot of the uh, the Hispanic kids, the Har- the Caribbean kids, as I like to call them, uh, a lot of them, you know, their innings were very, very controlled. Uh, and uh, nearly all of those guys started and were relieved at some point. Uh, but there wasn't necessarily rhyme or reason. I know that when I watched uh, Mr. Paniagua early in the year, I was incredibly impressed with him. Now, he does have a strike-throwing issue. Uh, and he he could definitely serve to get stronger and bigger. Uh, again, check out his write up, and you'll get a really good feel for for his arm angle, and uh, uh, you know specifically for how his stuff moves. But you know, I saw kind of a kid who was built like a really young Carlos Martinez, who kind of whips his body, but without the control that Martinez would show. And when I say control, I mean like body control that Martinez would show, uh, and who just got nasty swings with his breaking pitch. And uh, it was it was constant while while dialing his fastball up to like 95 consistently. And, you know, to be honest, the Cardinals don't have a lot of that in their system, especially from the Caribbean kids. And I wanted to make a point uh, to, to highlight those kids. Uh, and, you know, I, I usually – so I guess the best way of putting it is, Ben, uh, as I walk away from the camera and try to plug in my Ethernet cable because I'm uh, worried that my connection is trash – um, I, uh, I, um, is that, you know, I wanted to kind of celebrate these kids for a change. I, I, these are the kids that, uh, Inohan Peniagua in particular is a kid that I would normally really like, but I might wait a year to put on to see how they develop. And part of the reason why he's back on the list is I, I wanted to celebrate this kid for a change. I, I wanted to have a chance to, um, talk about him in a way that I might not otherwise have. I, I, you know, he stuck out to me. I, the only time I got to watch Palm Beach was against Bradenton in, in late May, the first week of the the first month of the minor league season, and he stuck out to me. I, I was on it right away. I said, "I just I just liked him, and I wanted to get a chance to write about him." So uh, that that was why he's 38. Uh, you know, th- this group of prospects, real fast, this 36 through 40 group, um, they're kind of there because. Like, I expanded the group for them. I think it's probably the best way of putting it. Uh, I had – it was like having ulterior motives for wanting to write about each one of them. You know, like Thomas Francisco I wanted to write about because I, I wanted to talk about ECU and I wanted to talk about this kid with a really good contact tool uh, and advanced human skills. You know, I wanted to talk about Enohan Paniagua because it was a prospect that I normally don't kind of talk about who has a potential major league future if he does a lot of things right moving forward. Uh, a super raw prospect that I might not otherwise talk about. Um, and, you know, Bedell, who under most circumstances, I I probably would have kept off of a dirty 35 because of the injury concern and how I am with injuries. Um, and then, you know, the next few guys we'll talk about a little bit. But, yeah, I just – I really like Paniagua. I think, I, I think that there is more than just uh, minor league depth potential uh, in there. He just – Command is the big thing for him. And to me, when you watch him, you can tell that his lack of command comes from body control. Uh, and I'd rather have that than, like, something else, you know? Yeah. In my mind, like, he's still young. He's still, you know, in that 21-22 age bracket. If he can just put on more weight and slow himself down a little bit, uh, particularly after he, you know, gets his leg raised, I, I think that'll go a long way to help us command I, I just see immaturity uh physical immaturities more than i see like command issues if that makes sense even though they're command issues so i like him and that's why he's here
0: so i want to talk a little statistically about him because some of his stats really jump off the page uh kyle i think hit the hit hit the hit the button right on this one he he talked about kyle talked about command issues there and he throws about 60% of his pitches for strikes. He walks about 10% of batters this year, which not great for a for a high-profile prospect. Paniagua might not quite be that high-profile prospect yet, but he does have reason. You, you can find reasons statistically there, to think that he might be. Yes, I'm still here. Um, can you still hear me, Kyle? All right, I'm going to keep talking about this even if Kyle can't hear me just yet. Um, Paniagua also struck out a high percentage of players this year. He struck out 31.5% of guys that he faced. That's almost a third of the players he faced that he struck out. He had a whip of one21 despite his high walk rate because he just didn't allow hits to batters. So I wanted to touch back to the stats of Inohan Paniagua because Kyle touched on a lot of good points there. Um, if you look statistically Paniagua had a 9.6% walk rate and only threw 60% strikes. And that touches on the control issues, the command issues that, that he still has as a kid who pitched all of 2021 after a 2020, 2020 loss season as a 21 year old. Um, Penny Aguil will turn 22 right before spring training hopefully starts here in February. We'll see maybe a month later. Um, but some things that stand out is he struck out nearly a third of batter space, 31 and percent of batter space. He he only allowed an average against him of 216. And talking about talk about tricking batters, he two out of every seven fly balls hit were infield fly balls off of him. So he got lots of pop-ups as well. Um, and so statistically, I think a lot of what Kyle's saying, if you're somebody who's like me and likes to dig through the stats, Kyle's eye test is totally being backed up by these stats, which pretty cool to me. Um, something Kyle touched on that I was going to ask about, um, I don't know if you had any more thoughts on this, Kyle. You kind of laid this out already, but I know we had some technical issues there that we need to get into. But, um, am I reading it right? You, you basically, you didn't get much of a look at him because of the whole Bradenton being the only feed at that level. Um, but he's a guy who is still, even though he's 22 to start the year, he's going to be a long way from the majors. He's not a guy that like fans of the major league squad who don't pay too much attention to the minors should be looking no, for no, his name anytime not. soon. absolutely right? not.
1: Not, not until that strikeout rate gets you know, 65 at the minor league level is about as low as I feel comfortable, like, really decorating a prospect. Uh, and I know that, you know, strike strike thrown rate. I might have said strikeout rate. Obviously, a 65% strikeout rate would be pretty right. cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so strike thrown. <laughs> I'll, I'll take his 31 and a half, exactly, much less exactly. 65 but, on that No, one. you know, he's, he's young. He's still so far away. <laughs> Um, he'll be at Peoria almost certainly in 2022, a a quick reminder to the fans too. And I'm sure this is something that we will hit on throughout this entire countdown, this entire podcast, but one way or the other, the minor league season will go on in 2022. Baseball could be shut down. We will have minor league baseball. Uh, the minor leaguers will be at spring training. Uh, as long as they're not on a, a 40 man roster, they will be at spring training. The minor league season will go on as planned. Uh, And, you know, that makes the lockout a little more bearable for me, knowing that, you know, sure, it'll be a bummer to not see Brendan Donovan and Juan Yepes and uh, 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 Freddie Pacheco and Jake Walsh at the minor league level in 2022. But, you know, we'll get to see all the other kids, um, unless there's some show of solidarity, which I doubt because you know basically major league baseball has used the minor leagues as bargaining chips and nothing else for the last 100 years right right although hey
0: they did get their a bone thrown their way this year already they uh minor leagues all have to be ho- housed and and fed and and on all that now yeah. and so at least at least something happened yeah the, there are a couple caveats to that they were the, the,
1: a couple things here and there but yes it's a step in the right direction of course it's also worth mentioning that the players association had nothing to do with that oh well, yeah that, that's, that's, that's cool. all us putting pressure <laughs> on the owners
0: okay um all right <laughs> this is supposed to be a positive show so i'm moving on from that um Statistically, all right, so this is the guy on this portion of the dirty flirty, the dirty 40, that I get to be a stat geek about. Um, statistically, your number 37 prospect is a guy that I am legit excited about. Connor Lung had, uh, he's a former 11th round pick from 2019, uh, picked 335th overall by the Cardinals in 2019. He only threw 18 and the third innings that year after being chosen, missed all of last year and jumped up to 120 and a third innings this year. He is a guy who had over five innings pitched per start, started all but one of the games that he pitched this year coming off that pandemic season. He he did this in a year where the Cardinals basically, like you just mentioned, tried to split almost everybody in the low minors at least, time between reliever and starter. Not only that, but this guy had an ERA, Connor Lunn, an ERA under four. He had a FIP and an XFIP that slightly beat out that ERA in a league that allowed over five runs per game league-wide. He also struck out a quarter of the batters he faced, walked 4% of the batters he faced, strikeout-to-walk ratio over six, and he did it at an age under league average. What's not to love there, but Why is he so low, Kyle? Why so low? Why 37th on your list? Do the stats deceive me on this guy?
1: He, uh, he's just a really solid pitcher. You know, um, I guess the best way to answer your question, why so low? I think because more than likely he's just a relief pitcher long-term. He's more of a two pitch pitcher and that, that not say his third pitch. So when you watch him, he's, he's fastball curve. Um, and I think technically it's a slider. I don't think it's a curve, but technically he's fastball curve. Um, in college, he was he was fastball slider, and I like I wrote in my write up. I what I I really like the fact that it seems like his curve is taken the next, the next step forward, but I feel like it's happened at the the um, the cost of the slider. Uh, something about the way that his off-speed pitches his breaking pitches work with each other and that they don't necessarily work well with each other uh uh, it it has me off balance now that being said uh uh, the Cardinals had nothing in the way of consistent starting pitching really throughout the minor league season except for Connor Thomas and Connor Lund and you know I, I do think there's an argument to be made especially because of his command that uh Connor Lund should be way up the list you know uh uh, the the issue is that he just doesn't necessarily have all of the same measurables that maybe some of the pitchers ahead of him on the list have. Uh, you know, I I think long term he he's going to be a relief pitcher at the major league level. Um, maybe he finds his way there um, as a starter at first. And you know, I th- I think there's an argument to be made that at the same stage in their career, you could probably like Connor Lund more than you would like Jake Woodford. I take that for whatever that is. Uh, I just think that um, with all that has changed in minor league baseball over the last couple of years, Lund's ability to get by on his ability to pitch, even though his breaking pitches are good, and he, his fastball is lively up in the zone, and he gets a lot of poor swing and misses. Um, I think I think 2021 is kind of like a um, – that Alex Fagalde, right, or that Anthony Shue. Uh, or you would see that type of pitcher pitch really, really well at the lower levels of the minor leagues and weren't really tested until they got higher. And with the unbalance coming off of 2020 getting lost and contraction of the minor leagues, you know, he passes the eye test in a lot of ways. But there are also a lot of times where I'm, I'm very confused about how he's getting that little round baseball by a bat. Uh, And that's not to discredit his achievements or his abilities (laughs) because he has some really strong abilities and that curveball in particular has taken a step forward. He just has to kind of put it all together, which is a crazy thing to say when you, when you talk about the stats that you just rattled off. Um, uh, But to me, this is where maybe the stats uh, are about a USC kid who is, facing inferior talent on a regular basis.
0: Gotcha. All right. So the stats might deceive me on this one, but nonetheless, I loved the stats. All right. Uh, Last guy we're going to talk about tonight is a guy who you have loved since basically we drafted him, maybe before we drafted him. Um, your 36th rated prospect on the flirty is Patrick Romeri. He's the last guy we'll discuss today. The way you talk about him in the write-up got me thinking about the way you talked about some of the strengths of Dylan Carlson and some of the strengths of Tyler O'Neill, but to a lesser degree of each player's strengths. And also with quite a healthy dose of O'Neal's weaknesses we saw in the first few years of his career at the major league level. Um, tell me more about, uh, with how young and raw he is and, and how much you've liked him in the past, why is he 36th on this list? And with those comparisons I made in my head from what you wrote, why so low on this list as well? Is it too much of O'Neill's weakness? Is it something You know, part else? of this
1: comes in, I wouldn't be so reactionary with, with Patrick Romero, right? Because you're talking about the last time we did a dirty 35 pre-2020 I had him as like my number 20 prospect, or I don't, I probably don't have it on a board anywhere. Um, But you know, he, he was like a number, he was a top 25 prospect on my list. And under most circumstances, especially with a kid that I'm not high on that's that young and that athletic, I'm not really quick to drop them, you know, maybe 10 spots on the list. We'll just, we'll say 10 spots on the list. Uh, The reason I did now is I don't know how tough it is to come back from baseball after missing an entire year of baseball, specifically as a teenager, Uh, competitive baseball, you know, reps are one thing. Reps are awesome. Uh, And, you know, it's funny. It's a hypocrisy because if he was coming back from injury, say that he broke his hand like Nick Plummer did in Nick Plummer's second year in the organization, say, say that he broke his wrist or hand or whatever, and he missed all of, of, of his second season, which would have been 2020 and then came back in 2021, uh, I might not be as um, worried as I'm demonstrating by putting him 36th overall on my list. I just think about what 2020 was for these kids and the competitive level specifically at Palm Beach, uh, where, I mean, honestly, Palm Beach, low A, was so uneven talent-wise. There were so many Caribbean kids who A, had either never pitched um, stateside or had never had extensive innings. So it's really tough to judge what's going on there, you know, uh, if you're looking at stats. Even if you're looking at it in-game, if you're looking at reduced velocity, reduced spin rates, things like that. Like, the pitchers he's going up against, it's hard to evaluate them in the first place. More or less his own abilities. And he got off to such a bad start before getting hurt. Uh, Kyle, Mm -hmm. are
0: you still there? All right, I apologize for technical inconveniences here but patrick uh, but patrick romary why did uh kyle why why did he move back those 10 spots again or so on the 30 uh, yeah 30 um side?
1: so you know it comes down to a lot of, a couple different things uh, following the 2020 season it's just so hard to really get a feel uh, specifically for those prep kids you know he comes from the img academy in florida which is a big deal um you know it's, a, it's basically a high school baseball academy more than anything it's athletic academy now um but he, uh, there are a lot of a lot of things following 2020 that are very difficult to gauge. You know, it's difficult to gauge uh, the pitching talent level at Lowe, which is where he played. It's difficult to gauge the teenagers. Uh, you know, he got bigger and he got stronger and he got uh, obviously more in more and better baseball shape in 2020. But there were some things there that just didn't really seem to click for him, and you know, he missed so much time at the beginning of the season. And then when he came back, he missed another little bit of time. And then he got off, you know, he he just really struggled when he came back. And it wasn't until the last month and a half of the season where he started, you know, hitting the ball again. Uh, And I know that when you're evaluating talent, that you have to take their talent. You have to take their skill set, their swing dynamics, uh, their pitch recognition and things like that. It's not just about the stats. But... I just see a lot of things that work against uh, a prep kid drafted outside of the top 10 rounds, even from an academy that he came from, that make it tough to give a really strong and full evaluation. You know, he's not the kind of kid that I under under most circumstances I would drop this far back. Um, I'm big on him. I'm still big on him. I think that there is a really good chance that Patrick Romero can end up being a top 15 prospect in the organization. Uh, But there's also a chance that he ends up being like Brady Whalen. You know, uh, you you mentioned uh, in the the run-up there, and it might be part of the recording, it might not because of the technical difficulties we've had, where there's some things that I say that remind you a little bit of Dylan Carlson. And there's a statistical element there that should remind you of Dylan Dylan Carlson from a weighted runs created standpoint. You know, they're two different hitters. Romero strikes out a lot. uh, He can walk a lot. um, But the strikeout rate and the potential power are what separate him from Carlson. But if you look at 2019 and his draft year, In 2016, in Carlson's draft year, you'll see a weighted runs created that was very, very similar. Uh, The thing there is, if you go back, you know, maybe 2014 or 2015, whenever the Cardinals drafted Brady Whalen, you'll see something similar there from an 18-year-old Brady Whalen who was a switch hitter at the time, Uh, uh, statistically, creating runs, hitting home runs, taking walks, but striking out too much. And... I saw signs from his swing and his approach at the end of the year that tell me that the strikeouts might cut down. We saw, uh, But the problem is, as he started throughout the year and at the end of the year started hitting for power, some of those strikeout numbers kept creeping up and creeping up and creeping up. Uh, I think that's a product of a loss 2020, and you just never know how that's going to affect the prospect long range. So all of that is kind of why I moved him back, maybe even further than I was comfortable with. Ben, you'll you'll know this as well as anyone. He was not always prospect 36 on the list. Uh, you know, at one point I had him 32. At, at one point I had him 28. Right. As a matter of fact, before I settled on my final list, I believe I had him 30th or 32nd, the, the list that I had sent you. Uh, and it wasn't until, again, you start writing the list, you start peering through the data and peering through the notes and that you start making adjustments here and there. Uh, uh, so uh, that should give you some indication specifically with Romeri that he probably could have fallen in the, he, think of him more as like a prospect in the group of 28 through 36, uh, but settling on 36 because of some of the more concerning signs along with, uh, the prep aspect in the lost 2020 season. All right, and I, I'm going to kind of end this
0: episode with uh, some observations I'm going to make, and 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 I don't know if Kyle would back these up or not, and I'm not going to give him a chance to because we've got more podcasts to get here too, and so he can he can fight back on this if he wants to at a later date. But um, something he said with Romero there, um, something that Kyle said a lot if you've listened to him when he went over to uh, Brian Swopes, Pop Swopes podcast or to any number of podcasts he's done already this offseason is is that he thinks that the Cardinals have a big group of prospects from about twenty-five to about fifty or fifty-five even, maybe forty-five, that that basically depending on your preferences, could could kind of go in any order. And and so I could see the loss of spots on the dirty 35 to dirty flirty gap that that happened by Patrick Romeri dropping those 8 10 12 spots whatever he did being a byproduct not only of that but uh, of of the talent that the Cardinals have added to the system in the last couple of seasons um Kyle's talked about how in uh I believe this was on pad last time uh, right around Thanksgiving he talked about how he looked back at his first list he did with Colin Gardner uh, back at Redbird Grant, Redbird Daily, sorry. And how those players near the top of his list, he was very proud of the players he put there and, and how the ones who have done the absolute best, not necessarily were not at the very top, but they were near the top of that list and and that he, he does show restraint with certain players and all that. And, and I feel like, with this year's list that has has really shown out and as we get to more of the list those top 35 you can see that 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 restraint by kyle is is kind of uh growing and 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 he's maturing in the way that he looks at this list um there will be times where i'll fight back against that uh, as you will come to find um, there will be times when I will applaud that as you will find. And I think this time is one of those times Romeri kind of took a step back, but again, with Patrick Romeri, he is a 20, a 20 year old. Um, He turned 20, I believe yeah. mid season even. Um, and so, uh and, and so while this may seem like a step back, I think in a lot of ways for the reasons I just expressed, this is, just the next step in his journey and, and, and kind of along with the rest of the prospects steps in their journeys as well. Um, Speaking of our journey though, we are going to end this podcast here and actually tonight you, it won't matter to you because these will come out on different days, listeners, but uh, tonight we are going to record another one. So uh, thank you for listening to season two, episode one of conversations with Rudy. Thank you Kyle for coming on and we will get back at this
1: very quickly quickly. Have a wonderful night.